joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. God, we thank you for bringing us into your presence this morning. We thank you for the peace that is in your presence. We thank you for the forgiveness, the grace, the holiness, the righteousness that is there, God. Help us in this time to just let go of the world, to let go of the distractions that are around us. Let us focus on your word this morning. Let us take the songs that have been sung, the moment of communion that we have had with each other, and allow that to enrich us and to um, help us grow spiritually closer to one another and closer to you. We pray that the prayers that we have been in the presence of hearing today have reached your throne, that you have heard our hearts and you have heard our minds this morning. God, we pray now for the words of, of your Bible, for the words of your Spirit, uh, to touch us and to convict us, help us to just hear your words this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If we continue, just a few chapters, not a few chapters, but a few verses later from where Haley um, ended his reading, pick up in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. Paul continues with these words, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that may, grace may increase? They had this idea that if grace is received through sin then the more we sin, the more grace we get, right? So, so if we want more grace, then let's just keep sinning, right? And he's saying, no, 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 you, you've totally got this concept wrong. It's not about sinning. Grace is not about sinning so that you can receive more grace. He said, don't, don't misunderstand this. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is one of the beauties of our salvation. One of the beauties of our salvation is that Jesus came, he lived this perfect life, he was our sacrifice, he is our sacrifice. The Hebrew writer will say that there is no longer a need or there is no longer a sacrifice that we need because the ultimate sacrifice has taken place. We have the avenue of the blood of Jesus to bring us into a pure, holy, and perfect relationship with God. And he reminds us of that here from the reading that, that Haley read from chapter 5 through chapter 6. He reminds us that we are in this relationship. Once we make that commitment, once we say, I want to be baptized, just as Jesus has said for us to be, he says, repent and be baptized and you will be forgiven of your sins. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, as is, is he has this multitude of people standing around him, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people standing around him, he's preaching the gospel for the first time. And some of them, they just, they're overwhelmed, they're convicted. Scripture says they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, hey, what do we do to make up for the mistake that we made? What do we do to get forgiveness for this mistake that we've made? What do we do to do right from here on out? And he says, repent and be baptized the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul echoes that idea. He says, once you've made that commitment, understand that you are dead to sin. That, that you don't live in this life of sin anymore. This sin is not your master. Sin does not control you. Sin does not have reign over you. That's why I, in, in some of our conversations, you've heard me say this, that's why I personally don't like the idea of referring to ourselves as sinners. Because calling myself a sinner means that I'm allowing sin to control my life, to dictate my life. I prefer, and I think you should too, the title of Christian. That's what Christ wants us to be, right? And that says that the reigning person in my life, the thing that I'm committed to, the person that I'm committed to, is Christ. I am living in His blood. I am living in His salvation. I am walking in His light. Do I sin? Yes. Do I struggle? Do I stumble? Absolutely. But those things do not define who I am every day of my life. Christ does. And so this morning, if you've not made that commitment, if you've not said, hey, I want to repent, I want to believe, I want to have this relationship with God, then you need to do that first and foremost. We've sung these beautiful songs about grace this morning, and, and they've been, I've just sat and listened to them more than I've sung them this morning, um, just, just allowing um, your voices to encourage me. Paul talks about that, singing and making melody in our hearts and encouraging one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I just tried to be encouraged by these songs this morning as I've thought about what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes. But that grace, first and foremost, comes by coming into contact with his blood in that moment of baptism, having your sins washed away, and as he says here in Romans, coming up and living a new life. Now, once we begin to live that new life, one thing doesn't change. It's not easy. It's not easy to live life outside of Jesus. There's always challenges. There's always temptations. There's always problems. Those things don't automatically go away when we become children of God. Some people want you to believe that. Become a Christian and everything is better, everything is great, everything is wonderful. Not all the time. I believe the Christian life is the best life to live. Especially, I love what Phil Robertson said one time. He was asked on, on, on a news broadcast uh, when, um, this was several, several years back, and the hot topic was the um, the uh, uh, government health care stuff, the marketplace type thing, and whether you should have to pay for that or not pay for that. And they were asking him, they said, hey, what, what do you think about all this? And he goes, you know what, I'm not worried about health insurance policies. He said, the most important thing to me is the retirement policy. They go, the retirement policy? He said, yeah, the eternal one. The eternal retirement policy. Where are you going to spend eternity is the most important question. But the truth of the matter is, just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that life gets any easier as we strive towards that eternal policy, towards that eternal moment with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is, is facing one of the most challenging moments of his life up to this point. A, a moment that in just a few days from verse 1 is going to be full of temptation after temptation after temptation. Literally, temptation after temptation after temptation. We're not talking about the little temptations. We're not talking about what we call little white lies. We're talking about a temptation that if he falls into, completely ruins the plan of God and the scheme of redemption, and we lose all hope of true salvation. Nothing was bigger than this moment in, in the biblical story. Nothing was bigger up to this point. 
And so the beginning of this story actually starts back in chapter 3. Jesus comes to John and tells John, hey, I want to be baptized by you to fulfill all righteousness. And John says, hey, I'm not doing this. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy of this. He says, no, 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 I, I need you to do this. So he baptizes him when he comes up out of the water. This is at the end of chapter 3. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the presence of a dove. And what does the voice of God say? This is my father. Or my, sorry, I'm, this is my son with whom I am what? Well, please, don't you know that that was an amazing moment? That was an amazing moment. Many scholars say Jesus is around the age of 30 years old at this point. Uh, I would think that uh, more than likely he had not heard the voice of God in 30 years. And to finally hear God's voice, his father's voice, uh, for, for the first time. In the, I mean, he'd been with him for all of eternity up to that point. And to finally hear his voice. And what does he say? Man, I'm, gl- I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're talking about a mountaintop experience, right? Mountaintop experience for Jesus. And then where does Jesus go right at the pinnacle of his mountaintop experience? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. We go from mountaintop experience, from the very top best feeling in the world, to 40 days in the desert. 40 days in the desert without eating, without contact with friends and family. Probably not a whole lot of sleeping goes on. He goes from the absolute pinnacle to the absolute most challenging, exhausting moment in his life. And it is at that moment that Satan shows up and says, I'm going to get you now. You see, in, my, in Matthew's mind, in Matthew's mind, in, in, in my thought process of all of this, this really is the pinnacle. If Jesus gets through this moment... He makes it to the cross to be the sacrifice. See, I feel like in the battle between God and Satan, this this, this moment is where God says, okay, if if you really want to try, if you want to do your best to tear me down, you you give it your best shot. I'm I'm, going to loose the chains on you. You can have these powers. You can have these abilities. You can control demons. You can do all these things. But you have to understand, I'm putting my ace in the hole on the table as well. And that's my son. That's Jesus. And if you can beat him, then you can have it. God knew, right? God knew he was going to win. God knew it wasn't going to be anywhere close. But this is the moment where they walk into the ring, they put the gloves on, and they have it out. It wasn't going to be easy. It never is easy to simply follow Jesus. But I think we learn a few things from this particular story that will help us as we have our moments with Satan when he tries to tear us down as well. The first thing I think we realize is that Satan's going to look for moments when we're vulnerable. Moments when we're vulnerable. 
He was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He was tired. I still think, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, the most understated word, words in all of Scripture come from this passage. He fasted for 40 days, and he was hungry. I'm hungry after lunch. Anybody else hungry after lunch? Yeah, okay, the rest of you are just lying. I know you are. Yeah, I know you like, most of you are like, Tanner, I know you're like me. Hungry after lunch, right? My, uh, my three-year-old, she's got one sentence that she says more than any other words all day long. You know what they are? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. It doesn't matter. I'm hungry. You just ate. I'm still hungry. You know, we, well, that, that word is just so, like, how often are we ever really just hungry? Let's just be honest about it. How often are we really ever just hungry? All right? Very rarely, right? Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. 40 days. He's hungry. He's cranky, probably. He's tired. He's exhausted. And the devil comes in and he says, This is the moment. Why? Because he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. He's in a weak state. Vulnerability sometimes is a place where you're not supposed to be. I think of David. He's on his rooftop while all of his men are at war. When most men, when most kings, uh, men are at war, you know where the kings are? They're at war with the, with, with the crew. They're at war with their army. They're at war with their soldiers. No, he's on top of his castle. And what does he look over onto another rooftop and see? He sees Bathsheba. He's in a vulnerable place. He's in a place that he shouldn't be. And he falls into temptation. We need to understand that when we're hungry, when we're lonely, when we're angry, when we're tired, we're in a vulnerable place. And Satan will draw us in. Satan will find us in those moments. And he'll say, come listen to me. Come listen to what I need you to do. D -d Don't worry about what God wants. Just listen to my voice and I'll make it better. So we have to be aware that when we're vulnerable, Satan's going to come after us. What does he come after him with? A loaf of bread. A loaf of bread. You know what? Sometimes there's just nothing better than a nice homemade, fresh, hot piece of bread, is there? Put some butter on it. When we were in Romania, every morning there was a bakery just a couple of blocks from the church building. The ladies would stop and pick up fresh bread every morning for breakfast. Some of the best bread I've ever had in my life. I could see how that would be a temptation. But he says, no, mm -mm. man does not live by bread alone. It's not about the bread. It's about our temptations. Go to the next slide there. My clicker's not wanting to go. Oh, back. Should be the slide that says individualize. Yeah, he wants to individualize our temptation. That's the idea of what tempts me doesn't necessarily tempt you. For some of you, a loaf of bread wouldn't have been the first temptation, would it? For some of you, that, that just would not have been it. Not at all. You know, some of us have different things that we like. Just because something is a temptation to you doesn't mean it's a temptation to me. We were, um, we were sitting at dinner the other night with Brian and Patty, and uh, they had uh, Leo with them. And uh, Brian goes, man, I really think Leo wants, um, wants a brownie. You know who really wanted a brownie? Brian really wanted a brownie. You know what Patty said? He doesn't want a brownie. And I thought, Patty is just ruining Brian's dinner. Because Brian needs a brownie, but he didn't get one, so that's okay. But you know what? This is just me personally. Brownies aren't my temptation. You know what I'd rather have? Another cheeseburger. I'd rather have another piece of that chicken or another piece of steak. The, the brownie, the dessert, that, that's not me. But now some people, they don't want another serving of whatever, you know, is coming from the main dish. Some, how many of you just go brownie to start with? How many of you on fellowship day, you're just dessert table to start with? And dessert tables are always the smallest plates, right? Cecil, is that fair? Should dessert plates be the smallest? They should be the what? 
the biggest. Make him the biggest. That's, that's, that, that may be him. That's not me. We all have different things that we struggle with. And he comes to Jesus and he individualizes these temptations. He comes right after him and he says, hey, okay, well, if this doesn't work, if this doesn't work, if, if getting him to eat doesn't work, he goes, I'm going to take him to the highest point of the temple and I'm going to offer him something. I'm going to individualize his temptation in a way that only fits him. And he says, hey, get up here and throw yourself down because Scripture says, Scripture says if you do this, you're not going, you're not going to be hurt. I'm going to individualize this and make this simply about you. There's another moment in Scripture that I think of with this. It comes from Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in front of the, came in from the open country, famished. Okay, he's famished. All right, so what do we have here? We have vulnerability, right? We have vulnerability. So he takes advantage of his vulnerability and individualizes. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some little stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. There's actually a lot to unpack in that. We'll talk about this idea. Um, there's a lot of issues with what happens. But the main one I want you to see is that he individualized this temptation. I have an ability right here, right now, to take advantage of him because I know this moment speaks in this very specific way to him. And Satan looks for those moments in your life as well. The third thing we see are counterfeits. They're counterfeits. A few weeks ago, actually it's been a few months ago now, my kids come home from my mom's house. And they've got these stacks of $100 bills. I'm like, what have y'all done? And from here to Wiley, I, those things looked as real as they could be. I mean, I, I, you get up close to them and you could tell. But from here to Wiley, I was like, what bank have we robbed between here and Florence with my mom? Because that's not always out of the realm of possibility with mom, with Grammy sometimes. You know, grandkids go, hey, let's go rob a bank. What does a grandma say? Sure, if that's what you want to do, right? Let's go for it. Um, so I'm like, what, what in the world? And you get them close, and then it does, but from a distance. From a distance, those things look real. Those things, I'm like, if those are real, they're mine. You owe rent, you know. You're buying groceries this week. Satan does the same thing. Why does he come to Jesus and say, he goes, bow down and worship me, and everything you want is yours. Everything you want is yours. Don't worry about this cross. Don't worry about the struggle. Don't worry about all these things. If you bow down and worship me, I have all the kingdoms of the world in my hand. If you really study the book of Revelation and what's going on, I believe Satan had that much control over the world at that point. I really do. He says, I'll give it all to you. He, but he's promising something that he, that, he, that he probably really couldn't deliver, something that looked good on the outside, but on the inside was completely empty. You've heard me say it, cotton candy type stuff. It looks great. You bite into it. It's gone. But he offers us counterfeits. When we understand that our temptations come in vulnerable moments, they're individualized, and they're counterfeits, they're never as good as what he's promising, then we can know going into those moments, if I keep this in my mind, if I keep this focus where it needs to be, I don't ha I'm not going to be as likely to give in. Okay, I'm going to be able to overcome. 
But then how do we really know what these moments are? Are these moments good moments, bad moments, or what, what are they? I think that we have to make sure in our life that we're always testing moments that are before us. If we go to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul does this in a lot of his writings. He gets to the end of the book, and he starts hitting bullet points. Just do this, do this, do this, do this. And they're great teaching and sermon kind of sections as well. But he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. And then verse 21 and 22 is what we'll look at. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. We're going to kind of hone in on 21 and 22 for a few moments through this lesson. But test them all. He's talking about prophecies in particular, things that are being taught. The basis of whether we fall into temptation or not, I think a lot of times does go back to the idea of what we believe, how true we are to the word of God, and how convicted and convinced we are that that needs to rule our life. But the truth of the matter is, is everything that comes up in our life, we need to look at it, and we need to test it. Hold the word of God up next to it, and ask yourself the question, is what I'm doing holy? Is it pure? Is it righteous? Does it have the spirit in it? Is it made of love, joy, peace, patience, all of these good things that he talks about, about being spirit-filled. Do they represent these things? And if you look at something in your life and you go, it is not this. It is not represented by spirit-filled things, but rather worldly-filled things. Then get rid of those things. Get them out of your life. Because if you leave them in your life, you're just going to create more moments of temptation. And the more moments of temptation you have, the likelihood of going from temptation to sin becomes more likely. So we want to get those things out of our life by testing those things. And we do that in a very powerful way by opening God's word. By opening God's word. One of the sad truths about gatherings of Christians this morning is that there is a large percentage of Christians, and I would say here, as well as throughout the brotherhood, throughout the world, that this may be some of the only Bible you get all week long. The percentage of Christians in a church that open up their Bible through the week is a lot smaller than those who just don't. What if, what if today, after services, was the only day all week you ate lunch? The only meal you ate for the rest of the week? I mean, how, how would you feel come Wednesday? How would you feel come Wednesday? Well, Riley, today was the only day you ate. What kind of mood you be in come Wednesday? kind of mood you be in come tomorrow morning? Watch out, right? How happy would you be when you walked back in here Sunday morning? <laughs> Fantastic. The biggest question is how much would you eat next Sunday morning? All of it, right? What if we fed ourselves scripturally? What if every time you ate, you made it a point to open up the Word of God? What if that was just a challenge? Every moment that you eat this week, open up your phone, open up your Bible, and read something from the Word of God. Fill your soul as often as you fill your stomach. We have a lot of spiritually sick people in our churches, and it's because they're not filling themselves with spiritual nourishment. We're not opening our Bibles and reading those things and studying those things and letting those things just sink in and just purify our hearts. When we do that, we're able to resist the devil. We're able to resist the devil. See, Jesus' response to all of his temptations are what? Are they personal opinions? What are all of his... Every response from, from Jesus to Satan starts with what phrase? 
It is written. He's opened up the Word of God, right? He's opened up the Word of God. And because he has the Word of God in his heart, he's able to resist Satan. This goes back to our First Thessalonians passage. He says in that verse 22, abstain from all what? Appearance of evil. Appearance of evil. Not get in the middle of it and go, oh, wow, this is bad. I need to leave. He goes, if you're standing from back here and you've tested it and you've opened up the word of God and you're looking from here to over there and you go, hey, that has the appearance of evil. Then what does he say? Stay away from it. Don't even get close. Sometimes, and I know that y'all worry about me some Sundays. I know y'all worry about me. And the reason I know you worry about me is because you tell me you worry about me. And when you worry about me is when I'm about right here. How many of you worry about me when I'm about right here? And the reason I know it is I see it on your faces. I promise you, the only times I've ever fallen off of a stage is when I go up the steps. I've never fallen off a stage coming down. I hope we keep it that way. When you get close... When you get close, you're more likely to fall. Paul says, just stay away. Just stay away. Don't even get close to the edge. If it looks like it could be dangerous, if it looks like Satan's involved, if it looks like there's sin in it, if it's not of the Holy Spirit and doesn't have Holy Spirit written all over it, and you can tell that, then stay away. Resist the devil. And then the last thing is yield What's the difference in Noah, in Abraham, in Moses, Joshua, Peter, Paul, James? Name all the Bible greats, Ruth, Deborah, men and women. What's the difference in them and you and I? This word right here. They said, God, I yield to you. I give it all to you. You tell me where to go. Not one time that we have recorded did God ask Abraham to do something that he said no. He never. He never said no. Not one single time. Now, he said yes and then tried to insert kind of his own way of doing it and messed it up every time. But never once do we ever see him saying, God, I'm not doing what you ask. He yielded to God. He didn't do it perfectly, but he gave it all to him. So my question this morning is, are you willing to yield to God. We have this great grace. We have this great salvation. It's wonderful to live in it. But the truth of the matter is, is as we live in it every single day, Satan is going to fight us, challenge us, and come after us to try to take that away from us, not because he wants us. He just doesn't want God to have us. Satan doesn't care about you. Satan doesn't love you. Satan does not ever have your best interest in mind. He just doesn't want God to have you. But if we take the words of this story and the ideas that we've looked at this morning and just simply yield to God everything, then that salvation and grace will always stay intact. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this chance to just be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the words that Matthew records here for us. For this moment that Jesus stands face to face with Satan and wins. And the encouragement that comes to us, that when we stand face to face with him, that we can win as well. Because you already have. 
the, the battle is won. Help us to face those temptations in our life and overcome them. And when we do, help us to not have the attitude of the Romans of, hey, grace, 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 grace. The more I sin, the more grace. Help us have the attitude of Paul in realizing, yes, the wonderfulness of your grace, but our responsibility of living that life that you've called us to, to get up, to confess, to ask for forgiveness, to, to make things right with you, and to continue walking in that life and serving you every day. Be with us. Forgive us. Thank you for your grace this morning, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Instagram. And Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.